Hello, y'all. This is Alan from Radio Free Brooklyn, host of Lost and Rewound. For those who are not in the know, we do have a site where you can go up and check out all of the perks and gifts that you get for just being a backer with money. Chances are you probably have a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars to spare, and any amount counts in order to keep Radio Free Brooklyn alive and kicking with financial ease. Please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge. Learn more there about what you can win for donating whatever you feel comfortable donating. If you would like to sponsor our show, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash L-A-R. And again, any price that you want, a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, or ten dollars in order to be a financial backer for our program specifically. Again, the first link is RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge. And the second link is RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash LAR. Thanks so much again for your support. And now, on with the show. It's time to get embarrassed with us. again to Lost and Rewound here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am Alon. I am Jalan Hamzinger. You're back! He came came back. He's here again. Uh, Alon's doppelganger, for those of you who don't know. It it was like Spider-Man going and creating the the symbiote, and then all of a sudden he becomes Venom, right? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? He didn't create. You you, you don't know what you're talking about. I know exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. There was a symbiote, and then it was on Spider-Man, and he took it off, and then it found Eddie Brock, and then Eddie Brock became Venom. So you're basically the Venom to my Spider-Man. No, but it's, no. (laughs) Comic book nerds are going to call up and be like, this is a bad analogy. It's a terrible, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole, like, thing about Spider-Man and clones, and we we shouldn't even get into that. Nope. I'll tell you what we'll get into. We'll get into the tape thing. Lost and Rewound is your forefront for uh, all things tape from the yesteryears. We have begun to find all sorts of individuals who have scoured their archives, just like we were hoping, to show us what they have from their past. And just like I did when I was a kid, I'm really grateful that with your kind submissions that we can continue to do this show uh, with some creative output. That is more than just Danziger's own related. Hey, I mean, Jimmy even came out of the woodwork to do the show, and now he has stuff of his own that has been officially archived for the Lost and Rewound history. Yeah, never again, though. <laughs> See, that was a one-time deal. One-time th- Excuse me. I think you still owe us some uh, yeah, choral sex. I got to find that. I got to find that band. I got to find that band. Without further ado, let us begin on this week's journey.
Today's guest is Amber Dre. She's a storyteller, writer, editor whose work has been everywhere. She's written for McSweeney's, Hypertext, and the Chicago Reader. You may have also heard her on Risk and seen her perform at Union Hall, QED, and The Pit, just to name a few. Did we mention she's everywhere? Literally everywhere? You can currently find her industrious fortitude manifested through the world of food and beverage as she serves as managing editor for Market Watch and the founder of both NewYorkDrinky.com and LobsterLover.me. Somehow, she found time to be here on Lost and Rewound. Welcome, Amber. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's awesome to be here. We have only just met for the first time. You were a kind enough person to reach out to Lost and Rewound through the New York City Storytelling Group on Facebook were telling me before the show began, were it not for social media, you probably would not really be where you are as a storyteller right now. Am I right in that assumption? Yeah, I mean, Facebook makes it really easy to get connected with people that you would never have met in person and then eventually meet them in person Mm -hmm. through going to shows and, you know, getting booked on their shows and booking them on your shows. So it's it's a great... It's a great community. It's been really awesome. <laughs> Facebook probably was better than even the MySpace uh, in oh, terms God. of community. <laughs> MySpace. <laughs> Bad memories of MySpace? Yeah. It's like the dark net or something. Yeah, I was say, who, like... does, who doesn't have bad memories of MySpace? MySpace was dark Facebook. Yeah. I had my very first internet date on MySpace. Did you, though? Yeah. For real? Is that weird? No, it's not weird. We knew one person in common, which made me feel slightly less creepy. The first time I ever went to Chicago was because I met a girl off MySpace. True story. <laughs> I stayed with a girl that I met on MySpace. Um, really great girl named Lisa who uh, was kind enough to let me stay with her for, I guess, five days or so. I was there for a whole week. It was pretty great. I really enjoyed the city. And I got a chance to go to the Intonation Festival. And I got to see some cool bands. From one of the last festivals I went to, I became really disinterested in music festivals after that. Probably because that meant that I had to socialize with people I didn't know. Um, but more importantly, you were living in Chicago for a very... Yeah, how many years? I remember years? the Intonation Festival. Um, I was there for six years, I believe. Yep. I mm-hmm. went there for grad school. And then uh, once I finished grad school... I realized that I couldn't find a good job there, so I moved to New York and thought, figured I'd uh, try my luck here, and it definitely worked out for me. There's a really very rich scene in the theater world for the actors and writers in Chicago, but that just wasn't your thing back then? Well, um, I was doing that, but for a job that I get paid for, mm-hmm. there weren't any jobs for me. Sure. (laughs) What drew you to New York? Was it a job or you just decided you were going to move here and then figured out once you got here? Well, I'd always wanted to live in New York and my husband also always wanted to live here Mm -hmm. and his company said that they would let him like start a New York branch. Mm -hmm. So he had a job, you know, so we just had to find me a job and I was like, that's doable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's New York City, baby. Land of opportunity. It's right here, baby. This is the topic. We figured if we were going to try any time to live in New York City, it might as well be when you're, you're like, younger-ish. I mean, now I'm older-ish. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> but then I was younger-ish. It's worn on us, but yeah, no, of course. I, I feel like a lot of young people get really excited about living in New York, and a lot of older people get really intimidated by New York. When did you start storytelling? When did you officially, officially start being My a... My first show yeah. was 2012. Okay. What drew you to that art form more than anything else after be, being a writer for so many years and still writing, obviously? 
Well, I had always called myself a storyteller, mm-hmm. but it was mostly on paper, sure. like fiction and creative nonfiction mostly. Mm-hmm. Then I really got into stand-up comedy, and a lot of the stand-up comics I liked were more storyteller-type uh, performers. So I figured, like, at first I tried the stand-up comedy thing, and I was like, okay, no, this isn't for me. I can't do jokes, but I can tell stories that have funny parts. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, like, where where it led to. I didn't know where to start, really, but a friend was like, do you want to be on my show? Like, without any experience at all. So I just did it, and I, I loved it. So after that, I just I just never stopped. I'm not officially a storyteller, but I have a lot of friends in the storytelling community. You and I were chatting about Angel Yao, who I know has been on this show before, and then uh, a colleague of hers and mine officially, who's also done shows with you, David Lawson, who was here last week. Um, It's a very, uh, you know, accepting and very open and positive community. Mm -hmm. And then you you get that in the comedy world, too, but it's even more so in storytelling because you're not putting on so many airs. With comedy and I was going to say, what, where do you get that in the comedy world? <laughs> I'm like in this. the comedy world, and there's very little support system. <laughs> well, tell us about that. That's interesting to know from that perspective. Uh, I feel like it's very cutthroat in the comedy world. Okay. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are comics, but for the most part, it's people are, are less encouraging about like getting all their peers' success. I feel like once someone, one of their peers has success, people are like, oh, I'm, I'm funnier than them. Uh, why did they make it and I didn't make it? Uh, you know, it's just... Where I know exactly what you mean, that a lot of... Because I do stand-up comedy as well, but I like to do a lot of, what do you call it, a lot of variety venues where they've got music and poetry and stuff like that because it is more supportive. And, you know, as much as I do want constructive criticism, you know, you don't want people just to be jerky. Mostly my problem was with open mics. When you go to a stand-up comedy open mic... When it's bad, it's so bad. Oh, yeah. It's just so bad. Whereas with storytelling open mics, even if the storyteller isn't the greatest storyteller on earth, their story is still interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's still, it made it just, it was, yeah, the whole vibe just is more fun for me, mm-hmm. you know? There's less pressure. <laughs> There's less pressure to deliver when you're telling a story because people just want to know the story. Yeah, they want to know what happens. But when it's comedy, it's like people say, like, be entertaining, make me laugh, mm-hmm. like, make this funny. Ember, you're here because you have tapes, and mm-hmm. you pitched me with three very detailed layouts of what the actual stories are. I want to begin sort of in chronological order because I was listening to this clip before we went to record, and gosh, it is the most adorable thing. <laughs> Could you tell me, please, about the boy that you liked when you were 10 years old? Okay, I was obsessed with this boy named Gavin. And he would come to our town every summer, and his family was very wealthy, and they would stay in this, we called it the Big Blue Mansion, because it was the biggest house in the the point, Lord's Point, is what the town was called. This was in Connecticut? or It was in Connecticut, okay. yes. Uh, it's actually right near Mystic, Connecticut, if okay. anybody's familiar. Um, Mystic Pizza. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a friend who was in that movie, actually. He was, like, one of the kids in the beginning um, <laughs> opening scene. So, yeah, he would come every summer, and I was just obsessed with him. And, you know, as soon as I saw him, I knew I had to talk to him. So I would just, like, constantly, you know, the things you always do when you're a kid. You're just, like, pushing him off the dock and, you know. It's Pulling like, his hair. Yeah. <laughs> the classic ways women show you. They're like, yeah, <laughs> step on his toes, poke him in the eye. Yeah. It's like, what is this, the Three Stooges? I'll be like, <laughs> you're curly. Slightly. <laughs> slightly. You're so, you're so handsome. <laughs> 
you know, I would be like, oh, look, look, Kevin, I can dive. Check it out. I'm going to dive off the tallest pole on the dock. And I'd climb up to the tallest pole and, like, jump off and try to impress him with how awesome I could dive or do a cannonball or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he was disinterested because he was 10. Or no, how old was he? He was 12. He was, like, one year older than me. So he actually was very nice to me. You know, he was not interested in me but he would be you know very friendly to me and one time he invited me back to his house to have a snack and <gasps> I was like uh, I was like we're getting married now obviously I mean <laughs> and what are your children's names <laughs> I'm just envisioning Bob's Burgers uh, when Tina when a guy is interested in her and that all of a sudden there's like a montage where it's like oh, oh yeah I mean I can't believe I, I have a guy who likes me. Yeah, I was floating on air the whole week after that time, and I couldn't believe I was inside the Blue Mansion. Sure. I mean, that house was so big. Mm-hmm. They actually had pet birds in their house. What are the big birds called? They're like... Parrots? Um, maybe parrots. They were like huge birds. Macaw? No, it wasn't that. I think it was like the big parrots. He had so much stuff. Just so much stuff. He's like, he just show me all this stuff. How long? How, <laughs> wait, so you would go here every summer, though? I lived there. You lived there. And he would come every summer. He would come every so summer. So I was like a townie. Yeah. If you remember the movie Mystic Pizza. Yes. He was like the rich guy who came to town, and I was the townie. I understand. Except he did not want to um, date me. <laughs> right. no, no pizza with you. Well, before that admission was created, uh, you were interviewed by your friend, and your sister, you and Actually, your sister. Actually, yeah, it's my sister. I, <laughs> this is hilarious. See, when I pitched it to you, I forgot. But it, it was actually me interviewing my sister and myself about Gavin. <laughs> so the two nice. voices you hear are just me and my sister. Okay. But at a certain point, it's actually me and me. That's okay. All right. So I was listening to it and I was a little Perfect. confused. It now makes sense. Okay. Yes. That's all that matters is it makes sense. Let's take a listen. Interview Gavin. Yeah, what is. Yeah, this is the interview between Amber and Brittany about Gavin. You mean Melissa? No, Brittany. Okay, first it's Brittany's turn. What do you think about Gavin, Brittany? I think. I think. Mommy told me that. But how does she know 
Georgia was saying. And how old are you, Brittany? I'm five. How old's Gavin? Twelve. Okay, now it's Amber's turn. I think she has a lot to say. Amber? Well, gosh, this is a lot. Okay, I'll tell you all about what Gavin looks like first. Okay, I love his hair. It just comes out straight on his face. And then, and sometimes he pushes it to the side and it's so handsome. And he's got these big blue eyes. And they are so pretty. And he's got these long eyelashes and they just come out at you. <laughs> and, and he's got freckles. And I love freckles. I mean, freckles, freckles. I love freckles, but not too many freckles. He's just got a couple here and there. Okay. And um, he's got a nice smile. And he dresses very nice. Yeah. And he's 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 um funny and cute and and he he's shy and um but he's he's not like his friends. I think he'd be I think he's he'd never hurt anybody. He'd never take anything from anybody. He'd he'd probably say anything bad, but I don't think he'd say anything to hurt anybody. I mean, I mean, not do anything. I mean, he won't do anything to hurt anybody. He might say something to hurt somebody, like he did to me, but I won't tell you. <laughs> and, um, but it wasn't too bad. It was just, it was just something. And, um, I can't even remember. Hi. Randy. He's over there. Um, over there. Um, and, okay, one time, he likes to push me off the dock, and, and, um, he was holding on to my wrist, and Robin was trying to push Gavin off the dock, and Robin's saying, let go of him, let go of him, but I wasn't holding on to him, he was holding on to me, and he was pulling me and pulling me, and then, um, and then he, when she pushed him in, we both fell into the water. And then, um, both fell into the water. And then Robin looks down at us and says, I told you to let go of him. And then she, I said, but I, he, he was holding on to me. And then she said, well, next time he tried to push you off or holds on to you to push, pull you off, then, then you just go like this, like that, like you're going to catch him. And I'm here, no way. And then Megan says, yeah, do it, do it. And then he was trying he was trying to push me off one time and Melissa pushed him off and then he fell into the water. He grabbed my hair but he then he let go and then he wanted to grab it to stay on and he fell into the water and <laughs> he didn't want to make me walk. And then I was sitting I was um he was playing with Megan and he says, Ooh, yeah. And Melissa says, ooh, Gavin likes Megan. And then um, Catherine says, well, Gavin and Megan would make a good couple. And then, yeah, and then Gavin and Megan goes, yeah, gross. And then, and then, then um, Gavin says, and then, no, not Gavin, I mean, Melissa says, no, no, no. Um, Amber and Gavin would make a cute couple. And then Gavin didn't say anything. But when they asked him if he liked me, then he said, no, just as a friend. And then then I said, just as a friend, but of course I was lying, but he might not be. And then, um, and 
I'm going to give him a nice, cute love note. It's all right. Well, okay, well, that's the interview between Amber and Brittany about Gavin. Anything else you want to say, Brittany? Yes, please. Um, I hope Gavin's, if it's it nice out tomorrow, I hope Gavin's at the beach because I want to see him so I can um, ask him something. What That's all it? for now. What is it? What you want to ask him? I want to ask him if he likes me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that wraps it up for today. See you next time. We might interview Gavin. See what he has to say about the, the other side. Oh, God. <laughs> I am floored and so pleased at how endearing and natural that all sounded. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> it also had the undertones of an 80s movie. Well, I was actually wondering what that song was. Could okay. you identify that yes. song? That was Queensryche. Oh, you know that goodness. band Queensryche? I... Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's from Operation Mindcrime. One of the great albums of Queensryche. Uh, I mean, of all the Queensryche albums, that. <laughs> and my dad, it was either my dad or my uncle okay. playing it. Got it. So I was going to say, a 12-year-old getting into Queensryche, you I mean, I was into it, rock. too, but he, they were the ones who were listening to it at the time. Your dad had good taste, and uh, that always rubs off on the kids when the, the parents are listening yeah. to music. It impresses upon you no matter what they listen to. My um, dad has been in cover bands his whole life. Awesome. So he's sort of like a famous local musician. Like, everyone knows about Joe Dre, the guitar player. Sweet. <laughs> Is he also a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I see what you did there. You see that. You see that. I actually wanted to become a doctor just so I could be called Dr. Dre. But oh yeah, I th- I kind of wanted to become a character from Peanuts, so I could be Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too much for you, buddy? <laughs> I I laugh too much on this show, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing to laugh that much. Um, oh, I'm glad it worked. Success. I, all right, Mission so success. let's run it back one second. Your your sister was five. Explain what the relationship was like between you and your sister at this time in your life. Well, so she was five, I was eleven, mm-hmm. and that's a pretty um, big gap. Yeah, and I was so annoyed by her. Like every single thing she did annoyed me. And I was also a control freak. If you could tell from that clip, nope. I'm like t- Couldn't tell. <laughs> telling her what to say, yep. telling her how to talk. I love the like- whispering. It's <laughs> so great how she was really bad at taking direction, too. And you're like, and, and I think he likes you. And he's like, and he likes me? And you're like, no. <laughs> well, like, the first thing I t- told her to do was talk regular. Because at the time, she would do a baby voice. And she could talk like normal, but she did this baby voice because she wanted people to think she was cute. And I would constantly berate her about doing the baby voice. <laughs> so you can see here how like she's like really nervous to not do the baby voice. <laughs> I'm, like yelling at her. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
she liked Gavin, obviously. Yes. Gavin thought that was cute. He thought differently of you, but obviously you guys were of similar age, and it was like something that you couldn't avoid no matter what. Everywhere that you went, she was going to go too because mm-hmm. she liked her sister that much yeah. that she was just going to get all up in her sister's business. Well, we were together all the time. Sure. And she had a crush on Gavin, too. Yeah. She was like, if you're going to have a crush on him, I'm going to have a crush on him. <laughs> and I think the whole impetus for, well, of, of course, I just wanted to talk about Gavin, even if it was to nobody on a tape. I just wanted to talk about Gavin. Her mother was like, ooh, he, you know, he secretly likes you. Like, the way mothers do, they, like, tell you that a boy likes you when maybe he's False impressions to given you to you by the parents, yeah. See, the reason I'm saying her mother is because we were half siblings. Sure. So we had different mothers. So her mother's named Robin, who's the person I was like, I referring to her on the tape. And so, you know, I basically wanted to put Brittany under the microscope and be like, so you're five years old and you like a 12-year-old? Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) It was just so wonderful how you completely left her in the dust, preferably, I should say. Okay, now we're going to interview Amber. Oh, great. Okay. And you just go Amber's got so much to say. You just I think she's got a lot to say. And And I don't know why it had to be in the form of an interview and I don't know why I played both the interviewer and the interviewee. Mm-hmm. There are just so many things about this. The description is just too perfect, though. <laughs> Those long eyelashes just come right at you. I saw you <laughs> jotting some things down. Just things that I wanted to, you know, clarify or mention. Absolutely. You know, like, Do it. You can just hear, like, how verklempt I am. I'm just like, oh, like, yeah, you can all, almost hear the trembling in, in my voice. Like, in I'm the description, so... you can hear her, like, slow, getting slower and slower because she's imagining him. And it's, man. Yes, I was very boy crazy. I mean, he was just one of many boys that I was in love with. But, uh-huh. like, one, that summer... Or every summer when he came to town, it was Gavin time. And then when I went back to school, it was about a different boy. That, yeah. You know, was... we, we, we've <laughs> talked about this actually on the show in the past, how the summer you're in this totally different frame of mind. You're not necessarily putting on a different face or a different mask. But if you're seeing the same people every single summer, but you're not seeing them during the school year, it gives you a chance to retry your luck with yeah. affection. In that heat, yeah. dude. Like, heat. So every year, every year when he would come back, I'd be like, okay, this year is the year that I'm going to get Gavin to fall in love with me. I look better in a bathing suit this year. You <laughs> yeah. will fall in or love like, with me. My hair's longer this year. Yeah. He's going to love my long hair. I don't know why he. I thought he loved long hair, but... I was just like, he loves long hair. And uh, and then one year I cut my hair, and I was like, oh, maybe he'll like my short hair now. Like, and Nothing. Then, yeah. And then, you know, at the end of the clip, I said that I'm going to write him a love note. Mm-hmm. And I wrote him a love note with a tape of Richard Marks right here waiting. Right here waiting for you. I don't know. I forget how it goes. <laughs> you were a big fan of 80s ballads. Ballads. Yeah. I mean, that song in particular, I was, like, really into. And I just felt like it just, you know, expressed what I felt for Gavin, that I would be waiting for him. He was the one I wanted. And until he loved me, I would be here. Until... (laughs) Well... All right, well, the question remains. What ended up happening to Gavin? He's the president of the United States. God damn it. 2020. <laughs> I've actually tried to Google 
Gavin, but I don't know his last name. But I do know that he had a brother named Kier. Okay. And his name is spelled K-I-E-R. So I tried to Google, like, Gavin and Kier. That's such a summer and kid I, name. Yeah, and I... Whatever well, happened to like, Kier, man? Yeah, well, it's like a summer rich kid name. Gavin like and Kier. rich kid. Sure. I knew they were from Massachusetts. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've tried to Google, like, Gavin Kier, Massachusetts. Nothing comes up. I have no idea. Google The power of Google will be strong in the future. Um, we'll I'm, you know, after a few years, I think there were like three summers of Gavin. Mm-hmm. And then I moved away. Like my family moved away from that town. And that's when I lost touch with Gavin. Where did you move to? Just further inland in, in Connecticut. Okay. So far away enough that it didn't necessarily hold any importance to go back to this town for your summer jaunts. Yeah, I mean, it was far enough that I couldn't just go down there and, yeah. like, hang out, you know, um, without a car. Yeah. And I didn't have a car for, like, another four years or whatever. By the time I got a car, I was obsessed with, like, many other boys. What's well, one of those things, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever gone back and looked at photographs from, like, yearbooks and stuff like that of old people you had crushes on, and you look at them and you go, what was I thinking? Like, I why was the, why was that what I was into as a kid, you know? Do you ever see that show, um, You Can't Do That on Television? Of course. So there's a kid on there named Alistair. Gavin was very much like, he, like when I think of him, I think of Alistair. Mm-hmm. Like, he sort of looked like him. Um, Good Canadian boy. pretty, pale, yeah. dark, curly hair. Jon Snow. <laughs> Who's at the wall? I did find, like, another one of my childhood crushes online. His name was Patrick Botello. He used to try to be just like Kirk Cameron, like, he dressed like Kirk Cameron, and it was, like, when gro- Growing Pains was, like, really popular. Good God. That was, and like, the cute 80s look. It like, was. The Kirk Cameron, And the sure. fluffed hair, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was obsessed with him. And then I looked him up, like, whatever, 10 years ago, and he's, like, a total big beefcake kind of guy. Like, he's all roided up. I was like, yeah. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Let's segue into the next session with this clip that you provided to us. And could you lead into it? We'll talk obviously more about it after it's done. Context for sure is needed. I had a best friend in seventh grade named Christy. We were both new at the school at the time, and also her last name is very close to mine, so we, like, sat next to each other. You know how they <laughs> alphabetize everybody? Mm-hmm. So, like, we sat right next to each other and became best friends just because we didn't have any other friends, and we sort of bonded over the fact that our parents were divorced, and her mom used to, like, to just hang out at the local veterans bar and just drink all day long (laughs) like and then my mom had run away to florida someplace i had no idea where she was so we were just hang out all the time but i was like a super nerd like Mm -hmm. i my whole deal was that i got straight a's and i was really good i never did anything bad people called me goody two shoes and then she was sort of like a bad girl and so she would always try to get into trouble. She was always trying to get me to go meet boys with her and stuff like that. And I was like, no, no, no I just want to, like, stay here and watch movies, you know? <laughs> well, let's take a listen to this. There's a celebrity cameo here that will very much be the weight of the clip. And I won't spoil it any longer. We'll be back after this very entertaining midway point here on Lost and Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn. Teenager in Connecticut named Christy. And here's what she writes Dear Casey, a few years ago I moved to a little town. When I started school here, I met a girl who was also new. 
Our lockers were right next to each other. And when we introduced ourselves to each other, we found instant friendship. A short time later, we became best friends. Amber became a regular around my house. My mother loved her to death, and she was like an addition to my family. Amber and I didn't have much in common. She was a straight-A student, and I was average. My mother always told me to get the best grades in school. And when my mother compared our report cards, she yelled at me. She said things like, why can't you be like Amber? Amber's the perfect child. How can you be best friends and not be inspired by the things that she does? But what my mother doesn't understand is that Amber does inspire me to do well in and out of school and to be the best kind of human being I can. I often think to myself, if I hadn't met Amber, I wouldn't be the same kind of person I am today. So, Casey, could you please play You're the Inspiration and dedicate it to the best friend in the whole world? Amber, I love you and consider you the sister I've always wished for. Yours truly, Christy. Christy, here's your request and dedication.
Swan Smash in 1985 for the group Chicago and a request and dedication from Christy in Connecticut to her best friend and inspiration, Amber. If you that was unreal. <laughs> I, it, that might be the top clip I've ever heard on this show. And I, there's I, a I lot. Think I, I think I would agree, actually. Yeah. I, nothing really beats Casey Kasem. Rest in peace to the god. Yeah. Um, we've been doing the show for three years in some iteration or another, and that is the first Casey Kasem experience. The <laughs> last one will ever. The last man. <sighs> Gosh. I mean, you can't really. I, I have to sing your praises, Amber. But that you know, it's it's so difficult to begin. Where do we begin? Gosh, first of all, your friend rocks. In pers- yeah. The fact that she re- requested that song. Your name was uttered by Casey Kasem. Mm-hmm. It's out there in the ether. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's, there's very moment. few. Yeah, there's very few people who, whose voice is so recognizable that it'd be so cool to just hear them talk about you. Yeah. We here are all at Radio Free Brooklyn. At some point, we're influenced. He, we all do. Just, he's the voice of. I just. I didn't know this for sure, but now I know. He's the voice of Shaggy and Scooby Doo. So. Yeah. Well, we. I, I knew. And that. he's Robin. I uh, that and not Batman know. and Robin from like the Super Friends. Oh, okay. I was wondering what you were talking about. I was like the, Batman, Ro- the, the Robin. The Harlem he, Globetrotters were on no, Scooby Doo. No, it's yes, but I'm talking about like when Robin wore no pants. That was the one that he played. <laughs> when did he ever wear pants? He started wearing pants in the, in the new versions, man. Oh. Because it was creepy that he was wearing pants for like 30 years. <laughs> Every cartoon character can get away with not wearing pants if it's an anthropomorphic, but Robin was not anthropomorphic. Exactly. He was hanging out with an adult. He was a kid. He had no pants. There was just mixed messages. <laughs> okay. We're, we're getting off track here, but not in vain. But we got to get to you, Amber, because I have to ask you, what was going through your head when you heard this for the first time? Well, the odd thing about this period is that Christy and I actually had started drifting apart a little bit. Yeah. Like, we just didn't go to the same school anymore mm-hmm. because she was. we were going to different schools and it doesn't work out after a while. You know, it's hard to maintain the best friendship when you're in different towns. Yeah. So I think she was trying to really express how much she cared about me and wanted to maintain that best friendship. I don't know know if I've ever had a friend so good. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's amazing. (laughs) That's love right there. The thing that I found interesting is that she called me the sister she always wished for. Um, She had a sister. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's so good. So that was like sort of a burn (laughs) on her real sister. You said Casey Kasem to burn your own sister. (laughs) Subtly, because he would, but he was so he was so genuine. I mean, maybe that's just what Casey Kasem mm-hmm. is all about—that he can just come on. And I was inspired by it; like I, I felt it too. Mm-hmm. It was it was love. Yeah, I mean, I was really I felt very special that yeah. I was on Casey's top forty. Oh yeah, and I felt very honored and flattered that my friend had written this amazing letter to me. But then I also sort of felt bad, and I continued to feel bad, you know, as we drift apart. Because you guys were still drifting apart. So So. (laughs) when did you see her next after this development? I think, you know, we might have gotten together a couple more times. Yeah. And then after that, one more time when I got my car and I could drive to visit her, she had actually gotten pregnant in high school. And this is like three years later. She wanted me to be the godmother of her child, and I was just like... You sort of had to at that uh, point. The whole Casey Kasem thing, it's like, jeez, like, now nah, you forced my hand. It's yeah. just, it's, it's very telling that three years can go by, mm-hmm. and you you haven't forged any new friendships that really 
mean anything. But after all the time that has gone by, she still looked to you, even yeah. after all the time gone by and the distance. But you were you. that inspiration. I think it was that her life was so tumultuous. We both did come from broken homes, but mine was a little bit more stable than hers. And so I think she just, she connected with me as being like a more stable person and someone that maybe like if she could just keep a connection with me, maybe I could help her get her life back on track or help her or, you know, at least be one person in her life who's not a total mess. Yeah, well, it's one of those you things, know? too, that she's a bad girl, and the, and the, and the crowd she's hanging out with, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily going to be there for her. Right. You know, they're there for the momentary whatever, just to have a good time. You know, so maybe she was realizing that, too. Yeah, so then I went to college, and then I came back for one summer, and I got in touch with her to see her kid, meet him, and he was so cute, and... But we just still continued to drift apart. Every time we would see each other, more and more years would go by. And then, you know, I, like, ran into her at some kind of thing my dad was playing at. Like, you know, my dad's in bands. Sure. I ran into her there. And then I go back home to Connecticut. I would just, like, run into her here and there. It's not so. even a social media presence that she has. It's more just the, you know where she is. It's not hard to find her. Mm-hmm. And you can establish that connection and pick up where you left off maybe not so much it's more like it's really cool to like just get together and just be like hey you know this is what your life's like now this is what my life's like Mm -hmm. it's never going to get back to that casey case place we have other high school friends and stuff where when we get together it's like it's like no time it's passed but with her and me like we're just so different the last time i saw christy was this past christmas we hadn't seen each other in probably like I don't know, maybe 10 years or something. And, you know, because of Facebook, we had sort of gotten back into each other's lives again. And uh, so we decided to have lunch and catch up. And she brought her wedding photo album. And I was, like, really excited to see this, you know. So I opened it up, and it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen because it was pictures of her wearing a wedding dress separately. And then pictures of her... With her husband, who's now in prison, getting married in prison. Wow. So she was a bad girl. (laughs) You're not wrong. Like, she got married to a guy who is in prison, and they wouldn't let her wear her wedding dress into the ceremony. She bought this wedding dress and got all dressed up and wore it to the prison, and then they were like, you can't wear that into the wedding ceremony. I don't understand. I don't understand either. Uh, like, maybe there's some part of the dress that could be yeah. uh, appropriated to be a weapon. Yeah, maybe yeah, they thought the case, she yeah. was like smuggling something in her dress. I have no idea. Someone's like, holding was, on that train, so was, and there's all kinds of knives in it. And, it was sort of one of the most depressing things I'd ever seen. Oh, jeez. You don't know what to say. You're like... Casey would know what to say. <laughs> is it rude to ask someone why their husband's in jail? Maybe. Um, You know what? I think that that is something coming from people who don't hang out with people in jail. You can ask. I feel like you got to ask. I don't know. Like, I felt like she maybe would have told me if she wanted me to know why her husband is in jail. I don't know. You were talking about before how you both came from broken homes. With only very vague familiarity of what I've seen and heard of your stories in the podcast sphere and video sphere, I should say. I do know that your family life was not a very easy one, but you did seem 
from what I gathered, to have a pretty strong relationship with your father. Mm-hmm. A lot of what these clips represent, considering what I know of you, Amber, and the hardships that you've gone through in your life, past, present, and I guess future, we are all adults that are going <laughs> through our things that go on, but you had some real positive reinforcement with these clips that really drove home a point that there was a happy year time that was going on in your mm-hmm. life, even yeah. when there wasn't such happy things going on. And your father probably represented some of the positive things that were going on, I would imagine, mm-hmm. just because of how much you were into music and how much he was into music. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the connection you have with music. Yeah, I mean, both of my parents are musicians. That's sort of like how they met. They were in a band together in high school, and then I was born, and they just continued to play music, and then they ended up separating, but they each continued to play music in their separate bands, and, um, you know, music was always around the house. One of my favorite things is that I would play records with both of my parents and just like looking at records that they had and just going through their collections mm-hmm. and just playing whatever they had. So, you know, and my mom was a singer and my dad was a guitar player. So, you know, singing came naturally to me. Mm-hmm. I loved singing. I always wanted to sing. And my dad played guitar and he always really tried to encourage me to play guitar too. He was just like, you should learn to play an instrument and you should play guitar because that's what I play because it's the best instrument, (laughs) basically. Tell us about the clip with you playing guitar. So my dad gave me a guitar when I was 11. He gave me my first guitar for Christmas when I was 11. And I just started taking lessons and I was like, I'm not really feeling this, you know. And so I just focused more on singing for a while. After a couple of years, I put it away again. because I was actually sort of embarrassed about playing the guitar for some reason. I don't know why. I just didn't feel comfortable playing it. It was an electric guitar and I'd have to haul this huge electric guitar case onto the bus every time I had to go to my lesson or whatever and everybody would stare at me it'd take me like five minutes to get on the bus it was very humiliating because at the time I had very low self-esteem and you know not very confident in myself and so like anything where people were staring at me I was not into and anything that made me different you know I didn't like either I didn't really want this attention of being the girl who plays guitar and then after a few years guess what Hole came out, a whole bunch of other like riot girl bands mm-hmm. like Veruca Salt and like all these other bands came out that had female singers playing guitar. It was cool all of a sudden to be a girl who played guitar. So I was like, hey, guess what? I got this guitar, pulled it back out and started playing guitar again. So it was really actually a, one of the defining moments in my high school career was finally being like, I don't give a shit what people think about me. This is what I like. This is who I am. I'm a girl who plays guitar. And, and the impetus is what we're about to hear, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this clip of you playing a song by That Dog. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a listen.
like, it's like about the movie Clueless, even though like they wrote that song before Clueless came out. But if it's for Clueless, they should have that on the soundtrack. But they don't because they're losers. Like the best song they have on that. Anyway, what what am I talking about? Okay, so this song has to do with Clueless because Christian is the guy that Cher likes, and like he was gay, or like they they supposedly told us or whatever made him look like he was gay. So this movie is. This song is about that movie because he's kissing Christian and it's like Cher is singing it. And if you just listen to the words, it's like, it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty cool. Must be boring. They're kind of boring. But hey, whatever. Cream is your corn, dude. But we're gonna say hi now. Hi, Amber. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, Amber. Kim. There you go. Hi. You don't know me. That was Jocelyn. But anyway, bye. I guess I just liked those answering machine messages, so I wanted to save them, so I just put them on this tape. Okay. Whatever creams your corn. Whatever <laughs> creams your corn. I'm curious as to the connection between the That Dog song and the answering machine. Were these in the same point in your life? Yes. So, like, this is 1996. Okay. I'm a senior in high school. I'm 18. And I'm a very awkward person, if you couldn't tell. Right. <laughs> you, did, you were the girl with the guitar. <laughs> yes, I was the girl with the guitar. Who shined on tape. <laughs> she really did. That was fantastic. So, like, I made this mixtape called Girls with two R's, and it was all female-fronted bands. Uh-huh. And then my friends were like, we like that song, He's Kissing Christian, and we like it when you play it. So can you put that on the tape, too? So I just played it and put it on the tape. And then I had a little bit more space, so then I just threw on these two answering machine messages that I wanted to keep forever because Mm -hmm. the boy, Chris, was my obsession at the time. I was in love with him. And the new boy. (laughs) He got the new boy. And then the girls were like, they were my crew at the time. Okay. So. So they were leaving you voicemails because they were encouraging you, right? No, no. This had nothing to do with anything. It was just literally like they were answering missing messages that I wanted to keep forever, so I put them on this tape. That's it. I just think that is wonderful. (laughs) I wish that I saved voicemails like that. Getting, you keep saying voicemail, but it was an answering it's machine answer, message. You're right. You're, no, you're, you're, no you're, you're absolutely right. It is locked into my head, and I know for a fact that you are 110% correct. And 
it is bled into my head that I should right. call it a voicemail when it is yeah. an answering machine. Yeah. I mean, remember those days before the answering machine when, like, you know, people had called and you weren't around and then that was it and they just rang through? <laughs> You're just like, great, they're not home. No one will ever know like I a called. Little tape and... <laughs> If it ran out, then you couldn't get any more messages. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember when we got an answering machine when I was a kid. It was like I thought we were like coming up in the world. I was like, look at this. We got color TV. We got an answering machine. Like this is we're we're doing it. We're doing it. We're living the dream. Getting an answering machine when I went to my summer program at Vassar College when I was eighteen felt so empowering. It, I didn't have a cell phone yet, but I had a phone line in the dorm room on campus when I was there during the week, and it was just great. It felt like it was a good precursor for college. I could be reached at any time, and I could create my great, clever voicemail, my quite clever <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, answering yeah, machine. Your yeah, answering machine yeah. message? Yeah. yeah. Well, I um, actually did, I did the Seinfeld, believe it or not, <laughs> Elon is not home. Of course you did. Of course you did. You were One saying. One thing I wanted to mention about that answering machine message is that Liz is like, you're at the Richards, right? Sort of boring. And the Richards were a family that I would go to church with. Okay. So these girls would always make fun of me for going to church because I went to church on my own. Like I, this family were like, do you want to go to church with us? And I was like, sure. So I started going to church. So I was like this nerdy girl who didn't do drugs, smoke or drink and went to church, but then also hung out with, like, the weirdos. This yeah. weird dichotomy. <laughs> Would you say that faith or music played a more important part in your last year of high school? Uh, music, definitely. I mean, music has always been the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And then I think the fact that I was Christian for a couple of years sort of kept me out of trouble. Because I think yeah. at that point in time, I could have gone either way. I could have gone down the path of, like, you know, drinking drugs boys, that kind of thing. But the being a Christian sort of kept me on a, a good path. But then when I went to college, I, everything went out the window. Where does but at least through <laughs> high school, I was fine. Uh, there, there's something really special about the way that these tapes, sort of looking chronologically, have spelled who you are as a person. Just from, just from looking through the microscope of a 10-year period, going from mm -hmm. boy crazy to somebody who was just trying to, you know, be a good friend. And then somebody who was so in, you know, even more so involved with her friends, but just as well more insular in, you know, involved in her music. You had a really interesting list of positives that were kind of keeping you at the bay of not being so distracted by what was an otherwise, from I understand, a broken home, a tumultuous home. Do you feel that the positives outweighed that of the negatives as you look back at oh, them? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, my, my dad was awesome. He took care of me and you know, gave me the opportunity to have, like, music in my life and made sure that I got straight A's and went to college and everything. So that was pretty much, <laughs> that's all you can ask for, right? <laughs> Amber, you have so many stories to tell. I feel like we could go on for another hour if we wanted to. Tell us here at Radio Free Brooklyn, when could we see you or hear you next? I'm going to be on this show called Encampment at, um... Oh, gosh. You know what? It's sold out anyways, so it doesn't matter. But you That's can good. Check out. That's great. <laughs> you can check out my website, amberdrey.com. D-R-E-A. Yep. And, you know, I'll have, I post all my dates up there, and I've got a bunch of podcasts that I've been on that you can check out there, like watch videos of my other storytelling gigs and stuff like that. So 
Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Thank really you. appreciate it. This is so much fun. Amber Dre on Lost Number One. We'll have to have you back. And I know, I know for a fact you showed me you've got more where that came from on the tape front. Uh-huh. Thanks so much for reaching out to us. Uh, thanks Facebook for bringing us together here. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you guys out there for listening to the show. Yes. Again, we'll be back again next week, guys. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Reach out to us on the Twitter or the Facebook or, um, you know, reach out to us on email, lostandrebound at gmail.com. Silence, our phone. Siri, I saw it happening. <laughs> Siri was literally writing down everything you were saying. <laughs> as if, as if she was going to figure out what you were asking her, and then you would like you said a whole paragraph, and Siri literally wrote the whole thing down. It Siri, was crazy. do you want to get lost and around with us? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>